and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Hope everyone is keeping safe and healthy right now. Our staff is thinking about all of our listeners and wishing everyone the best. On today's show, we're talking about tips for straight line quilting and stitch in the ditch. It's a great time to finish some quilts, and you can get really amazing results with these two simple techniques. We're sharing how to help healthcare professionals by sewing masks, and then we do a wrap-up of trends we saw at QuiltCon last month. We end the episode with a Q&A with Meg Dunton of Monograms for Makers, so let's dive in. Machine quilting is a scary or dreaded process for some people. If you're new to quilting or just want to improve your own skills for quilting on your domestic machine, we have a few basic techniques to try. I'm here with Allison Gam, the designer of Quilts and More, who will share two quilting techniques that you can do effectively on your domestic machine. So Allison, what are we tackling first? First, we're going to talk about straight line quilting. We have some great tips on how to get started and how to expand your skill set once you've mastered those basic techniques. The first tip is to use a walking foot. Using a walking foot while quilting helps keep the layers of your quilt together, pulling the top and bottom layers through your machine evenly. When attaching your walking foot, it's also a good idea to change your needle at the same time. Having a new needle will also help ensure that you achieve beautiful, even stitching. Lindsay, what should people do if their machine doesn't have a walking foot? So the walking foot usually doesn't come standard with your machine, so you'll have to buy that separately. Most machines can handle a walking foot as an add-on, but if you're not able to purchase one now or your machine doesn't have that option, you can still quilt your quilt without any issues. For years, I quilted quilts without a walking foot and it worked just fine. You'll just want to baste your quilts extra secure so your layers stay together, use extra pins, or even consider a spray baste. You'll also want to quilt a little slower than you normally would sew to make sure the weight of the quilt is pushing through your machine evenly. Be sure to test out your quilting to make sure you like how your machine is set up before working on your actual project. Once you get your quilt basted, the next step is marking your quilt. There are several ways you can do this. Water-soluble pens work great for marking your quilt. We recommend water-soluble rather than air-soluble. That way you don't have to worry about your lines disappearing if you don't get around to quilting right away. But before using a water-soluble pen, make sure to test it on a scrap of fabric first. Another great way to mark your quilt is to use a Hera marker. A Hera marker is a hard plastic tool that allows you to lightly crease your fabric where you plan on quilting. Whether you're using a water-soluble pen or a Hera marker, we recommend using a ruler to help mark your lines. This helps ensure that your lines come out nice and straight. Lindsay, you like to do a lot of straight line quilting. What are some things that you like to do when marking up your projects? 
So those are all great techniques that you've mentioned. Um, I've also used painter's tape in the past to mark long straight lines across a quilt. Another fun gadget to consider is a quilting guide bar. It's this metal bar that attaches to your walking foot with a separate foot to measure specific distances. So for instance, you can set the guide bar for two inches, then use that as a guide to quilt even distances across your quilt. It's very handy and no marking, no marking is required after that first line that you sew. After your quilt has been marked, you can then start quilting. It's best if you can start in the middle of your project and quilt toward the outer edges. Once you've done one half of the quilt, you can start working on the other half. By working from the middle outward, you eliminate the possibility of getting ripples in your fabric. While you're quilting, make sure to alternate quilting directions. This prevents your quilt from getting pulled in one direction. It also allows you to keep sewing without starting and stopping to trim your threads after each pass. After you make one quilting pass across your quilt, you can simply leave your needle in the down position, pivot, and start sewing in the opposite direction. We have a great video online that shares some basics on straight line quilting so that you can see it in action. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Straight parallel quilting lines are a simple and effective way to finish up a quilt. It can be pretty relaxing and meditative once you get going. But if you're ready to branch out beyond parallel lines, you can play around with different angles and geometric shapes that complement your blocks and add visual interest. Doing this on a large quilt can be intimidating, so start with something small like a wall hanging or table topper. When I first started playing around with quilting on my home machine, I started with a wall hanging. Before doing anything, I just took some time to look at the quilt and figure out what kinds of lines and patterns would work best to complement the shapes in my quilt. It was such a fun way to get my creative juices flowing and expand my skill set. It's such a great idea to start small so that you can get the hang of things. And if you're not quite ready to experiment that much, a great way to start quilting on your own is by stitching in the ditch. So Allison, for those who aren't familiar with the term, what exactly is stitch in the ditch? Stitch in the ditch means quilting along the seams where your pieces come together. This method helps define the space between the blocks. It can also help your blocks stand out from your background fabric. You can use this method all on its own, or you can pair it up with more intricate quilting throughout your quilt. It's all about adding depth and definition to your quilt. There are several tools that can help when you're stitching in the ditch to make sure that you're traveling right along those seam lines and not veering off. We still recommend using a walking foot to make sure all of your layers move through the machine evenly. Some sewing machine companies sell specialty feet that you can pair with your walking foot that are specifically designed for stitching in the ditch. The stitch in the ditch foot has a metal guide right in the middle so that you can guide it perfectly along your seams. So if you plan on doing a lot of stitching in the ditch, it's probably a foot worth purchasing. Absolutely. If you plan on doing free motion quilting along with stitching in the ditch, you can use quilting rulers to help you out. Quilting rulers are really helpful when it comes to stitching in the ditch because that extra stability can keep you from veering off your seam line. There are different quilting rulers for domestic machines and long arm machines, so make sure you're using the correct ruler for your project. You also want to make sure to change out your machine foot for one that is specifically made to be used with rulers. Another tip for stitching in the ditch is to quilt on the low side of the seam. Seams have a high side, which is the direction you've pressed your fabric in, 
and a low side where your fabric is pressed away from. And this is assuming that you don't press all your seams open. So if you quilt on the low side of the seam, you'll have less fabric to sew through, so you'll get more even stitches that nest nicely in the ditch. You may also want to consider your thread color when stitching in the ditch. If you choose a color that matches the fabric or use an invisible thread, your stitches will blend nicely with the quilt and won't stand out against it. And of course, it's almost impossible to get all your stitches exactly in the ditch. So you may notice a few stitches here and there across your quilt, but washing and drying the quilt to give it a little wrinkle will absolutely help hide all the stitches and define that texture even more. Yes, washing your quilt can definitely help hide those imperfections, and I definitely speak from experience. <laughs> we hope these tips for straight line quilting and stitching in the ditch help you finish up some projects. They're a great way to dip your feet into quilting without feeling too overwhelmed. I've been practicing straight line quilting for a couple of years now, and I'm still not ready to move on to more complicated motifs, but sometimes the straight lines are all you need. We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm back with Allison for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. By now, many of you are used to being stuck inside, longing for the day when you can get back to your normal routines. The entire staff of American Patchwork and Quilting is right there with you. Even as a self-proclaimed introvert, I'm missing those daily face-to-face -face conversations with my coworkers. I'm choosing to look at the positive side of staying at home. Not only have I been able to live in my pajamas and catch up on reading, I've also been able to spend a lot more time with my sewing machine over the past couple of weeks, and I hope you have too. Many quilters have decided to put down their quilting projects and shift their focus to helping out those in the medical field and service industries by sewing face masks. Now, before you turn off this podcast and jump right into sewing masks to donate, I want to share some essential information with you. First and foremost, not all medical facilities are accepting homemade masks. Using homemade masks are a last-ditch effort for those who are completely out of sterile N95 masks that are typically worn. Sewing masks out of tightly woven cotton fabric is certainly better than nothing, but they aren't nearly as protective as N95 masks. This is why it's important to check with local organizations to make sure they're accepting homemade masks. For those facilities accepting donations, they intend to use these masks until medical grade sterile options are available again, which could take quite a while since this is a worldwide issue. Once you've checked with local organizations to see if they're accepting masks, your next task is selecting a pattern and materials. Some organizations are very specific about the types of masks they require and might even provide specific patterns. Other organizations are less specific about patterns. If you've been on social media lately, you've probably seen a handful of different mask styles pop up in your feed. So how do you choose which pattern to make? eQuilter has created an excellent blog post linking to various patterns that are available for free online. They're continuing to update this blog post as they get new information. We'll put a link to that post in our show notes. They spoke to a nurse who said pleated masks work best because they make for better absorption, 
durability, and the ability to accommodate various nose shapes and sizes. She also recommends using fabric ties rather than elastic as fabric will hold up better through washing and sterilization. However, some organizations prefer elastic ties so that the masks are easier to put on and take off. Again, make sure you check with the place you're donating to to see which style of mask they prefer. Another great resource to check out is MasksForHeroes.com, which you can also follow on social media. This website is constantly being updated with PPE needs across the country. PPE is Personal Protective Equipment. If you are working in the medical field, you can also use this website to put in requests. The website has great links to how-to videos and tutorials for different styles of masks. Keep in mind that it's not just those in the medical field that are in need of masks. Plenty of people in the service industry are still out there working hard and interacting with others. You can reach out to nursing homes, postal workers, food delivery drivers, and more to see if they would like homemade masks just for an added layer of protection. I recently spoke with my sister, who is a veterinarian, and asked her about her thoughts and needs on masks. She said their clinic still has a supply of them, but depending on how long the pandemic lasts, she could eventually run out. It's a good reminder to keep checking for updates as days and weeks go on and supplies continue to dwindle. Right now, those on the front lines need our help so they can safely help others. I just want to take a moment to thank those individuals who are risking their lives during this unprecedented time. I also want to thank those who are stepping up to help protect those who are vulnerable and at risk. Everyone is playing an essential role right now, even those of us who are staying home, sitting behind our sewing machines. I'm here with Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, and Doris Brunette, the editor of Quilt Sampler, who recently traveled to QuiltCon, and they're going to share some of the trends and fun things that they did while they were there. So let's talk a little bit about the background. First of all, um, QuiltCon 2020 was held in Austin, Texas, and QuiltCon is presented yearly by the Modern Quilt Guild. Um, this year, it featured a juried quilt show, workshops, lectures. There was a vendor area for shopping and some special exhibits. Now. 2020 has already happened, so QuiltCon 2021, they have already announced is going to be in Atlanta, Georgia. So if you're interested in going, that's where you need to be planning your travel to next year. Yeah, so a little bit about the quilt show. In order to submit a quilt or quilts, you must be a member of the Modern Quilt Guild, um, either an individual member or belong to one of the chapters um, across the world. And the quilts we saw hanging at QuiltCon were juried into the show, as you mentioned. Entrants select a category to enter their quilt into. It can be improv, um, the, the challenge that you're going to talk about in a minute. Um, there's all kinds of different categories. Handwork is another category. Uh, and the quilts are judged within each of those categories. So there's um, first, second, and third place in all of those. It's truly an international show. This year, there were all 50 states were represented, as well as 15 other countries. And Doris, you and I were there because uh, American Patchwork and Quilting sponsors a, de a design challenge every year. And this year, we awarded prizes for first, second, and third place at the award ceremony, which is Wednesday night before QuiltCon actually starts 
full days on Thursday. So the APQ challenge this year, the category was stripes. So quilts must have used stripes as a primary design element. So that could be using striped fabric. That could be that you're making stripes by sewing fabrics together. It just had to, when you viewed it and looked at it, it had to say stripes. Now, we were thrilled to be able to present Tara Glastonbury from Australia with her first place award. She was actually in attendance, and it was great for us to be able to meet her in person um, and to award her her first place prize. That was a lot of fun. So, And I know our third place winner, I think, was an international quilter as well, and she was there. So it was, it was fun to meet them and um, get to see their quilts up close and a little bit about their personalities. But we saw some fabulous quilts, so Jody and I wanted to share some of the trends that we saw at QuiltCon. First of all, stitching. I noticed a combination of stitches in many of the quilts. Um, machine quilting, large cross stitches, and big stitch were sometimes integrated, actually often integrated into the same quilt. Um, using a variety of threads and flosses. And you know, what I noticed too is that the finishing stitches were as much of a design element as the fabric choices. Um, I noticed that micro, well I'm calling it micro matchstick quilting, where you have these parallel lines sewn very, very closely together, maybe like an eighth of an inch and apart. And that was really a common way that people were finishing machine quilting their quilts. Now, because these quilts were so closely quilted, I'm sure those quilts are really heavy because there's so much thread in them. Oh, no doubt. And I think micro matchstick quil match quilting is a good name for it. Um, and there was a lot of it there. We saw a lot of the quilts done that way. I'm always impressed by the machine quilting skills on display, um, usually at any show. But I think this one is particularly um, interesting because there's a lot of quilts with negative space or large um, large open areas and the complex custom designs that you see quilted in those are just amazing. Um, different motifs and types of threads were incorporated into many of the quilts and added depth and kept the eye moving across the quilt top. Some really interesting pieces. Um, and I always snap close-up shots of quilting details. It's one of those things that I wish I could do. So I always take um, quilting photos, so particularly of just the quilting and up close. But this time, I noticed a lot of other people doing the same thing, probably more than ever before any other show I've been to. Yeah, I agree. I think the quilting and the finishing on the quilts at QuiltCon this year was the most diverse that I've seen, probably in any quilt show um, that I've been to in a while. Now, in terms of design, one of the things that I observed was that I saw a lot of log cabin inspired quilts. So whether it was courthouse steps, um, half or quarter log cabin blocks, asymmetrical blocks, or improvisationally pieced, they were all really well represented at QuiltCon this year. Yeah, they were. And how about circles? We even heard other people um, walking around the show commenting about how many circles and curved pieced quilts there were. Um, whether it was full, half, or quarter circles, they were definitely the most popular shape represented. A few years ago, we noticed it was the hexagon, and, but this year it was definitely the circle's time to be in the spotlight. Definitely. You know, some of the circles were set in, uh, some of them were appliqued on top of a foundation piece, and some were also foundation paper pieced. You know, it's challenging to sew those curved seams, so the skill level of the quilters, I think, was also evident of the quilts that we saw in the show. 
Now, of course, solids continue to be the largest category of fabrics used in the quilt to quilt con, but I found fewer kind of rainbowy colorways this time, and maybe some more creative combinations of color. What about what about you, Doris? Um, yeah, I noticed a lot of the solids for sure. There always are quite a few in the modern quilts, um, but ombre fabrics appeared quite frequently as well. Um, and I noticed uh, Japanese boro fabrics, um, whether they were mixed with cottons or um, quilts made entirely out of out of those boro fabrics and kind of linen textury prints. Um, and I noticed that the prints that were used were typically very small scale prints. I don't can't even think of an example that I saw with big prints um, and typically incorporated with solids when they were used. Well, and talking about solids, some of my favorite quilts in the show were in a special exhibit. There were several Amish quilts from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania that were part of the Esprit collection um, that was uh, in the Esprit design uh, company from the 1970s and 80s, some of you might remember. And you might think, well, why would these vintage quilts be in a modern quilt show? But these quilts actually have a lot of common characteristics with the modern quilts. Uh, both of these genres use solids instead of print fabrics. Both have large areas of space for quilting and both use non-traditional combinations of color. So those were just a few of the trends that Doris and I saw when we were there. Uh, if you want to learn more about the Modern Quilt Guild, you can go to their website, and it is themodernquiltguild.com. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social. On today's interview, I had the pleasure of chatting with Meg Dunton of Monograms for Makers. I've gotten to know Meg through Instagram, so it was so great to finally sit down with her in person to talk. Last year, Meg quit her day job to work full-time at her home decor business. She sells fabric, embroidery supplies, and gorgeous machine-embroidered monograms and sayings to incorporate into your home decor and quilts. In this chat, she gives great tips on how to use machine embroidery in your own projects, as well as shares about her adorable pup, Sophie. Enjoy! Hi, Meg. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, Lindsay. So why don't you start by giving us a little background about how you began sewing? So I am really lucky that both my mother and my grandmother on my father's side were both amazing garment sewers. So I started out, my grandma would take the old JCPenney's catalog that used to have the wedding dresses and let me pick like bridesmaids dresses as like a five or six year old and she would recreate those for me. So how do you not love sewing after that? Awesome. So a few months ago, you quit your day job to work full time at Monograms for Makers, which is your company. So what was that transition like and how has your day-to-day -day changed? Um, it's been so weird to go from having goals set by a corporate board out on the East Coast to me making all the decisions on how my day goes or how I do things. Um, you know, the biggest change has been my dry cleaning bill has gone way down. Um, and I've just, I've had so much fun being able to interact with so many more sewists. And, you know, a lot of what we do since it's monogramming and embroidery, I get to be there for people's special occasions. So the biggest change has been usually when I was managing people, when my phone rang, it was somebody with a problem or an issue or something we had to rush and do because I, I managed a team of 
of salespeople for an engineering software company. Um, so nobody called me because things were going well. Now, when I interact with people, it's for really exciting things like the birth of a baby or a wedding or Christmas. So, so much more exciting and happy. How much time a day do you spend sewing now? So it really varies. I'm trying to do a better job of, um, there's a, a philosophy, if you will, called time blocking, where I'm trying to do time blocking where my mornings are taking care of the business, if you will, paying invoices, doing ordering, going through, making sure that just basically the business side of things are covered. And I really want to spend my afternoon sewing. Sometimes that morning bleeds over into the afternoon. I've kind of been tempted to, to flip it. Um, but generally, I would say in a week, I'd probably spend at least 20 to 30 hours sewing. How much of that sewing is for your own projects versus what you're doing for other people? Oh, no. Now we're varying quite a bit. It really varies occasionally. Um, I don't do a ton of sewing for myself or I cheat a little bit and a lot of the products that maybe that I might be bringing to market are ones that I want for myself. People who run quilt-related businesses or fabric-related businesses are our biggest um, consumers. We're the biggest consumers, so the things that we love are things that others love. So I totally cheat a lot of times, and even though I'm sewing a sample, I'm sewing a sample for me to keep and then to, to show for others that hopefully they like it as well. Yeah, I love that. So you talked a little bit about how you're doing like monograms and machine embroidery. Um, can you share your favorite like machine and products for machine embroidery? Oh, absolutely. So what's funny is machine embroidery is so much prep work that the the biggest tool I use besides my embroidery machines are my iron. I'm a huge fan of my reliable velocity iron. It's fantastic. Um, I'm a huge fan of baby lock machines. Um, I So personally, my personal machine is a Destiny. Um, and then I also have a multi-needle machine for, as well, that um, the Valiant that I absolutely love. Um, they're I've had, I've tested now three different brands of embroidery machines, and I've just been so happy with some of the different um, features, like being able to use positioning stickers and some of those things that make life so much easier. Um, and especially because a lot of what I do is integrated into either quilting or pouches, um, being able to uh, take the, you know, take the design and center it perfectly on a print on fabric, being able to see it on the screen has been huge for me. So a lot of times I'll do the fabric first, then cut it to size. So instead of the traditional monogrammer who has a pre-made bag or a pre-made quilt that they load into their machine, you know, I'm doing the fabric first and then sewing it into the project, which I think makes for a better result. Agreed. So I think a lot of quilters seem to think of machine embroidery as something completely separate from the quilting and sewing process, but you do such a great job incorporating the embroidery into your projects. And I know you mentioned pouches and quilts, but can you give some other examples of items you've added monograms to? Absolutely. So, you know, We've done a few banner projects, just a lot of home deck, um, tons of pillows. Pillows have been the most popular thing I think that we do just because they're quick, they're fun. You can change them out for the seasons. Uh, They make great housewarming gifts, baby gifts, things like that. We've done a few, you know, just beyond bags and pouches, um, we've done a few, like, um, things for luggage so that you can tie on, you know, tie onto your luggage so it sticks out. You always see the quilters traveling. You know when you see a quilter because they're not the gals with the black plain bags. There's, you know, the traveling handmade. I think we've really um, had fun with that trend. 
And is there an occasion that you see people order monograms for more than anything else? Um, they're, they're kind of tied, and they're kind of two of my favorites, too, which is great, is um, Birth of a Baby um, and Christmas. So those two, those two ho- you know, holidays or occasions are kind of the, the big ones because everybody wants to make that brand-new baby a quilt. And everybody loves Christmas or the holiday season. So, Are those people ordering the quilts made by you, or are they sending you things to monogram? Um, so a lot of times uh, I offer really um, common backgrounds. So I'll do the background square for them and just send the fabric so that we don't have as much shipping cost. It helps to keep the cost down. Um, I have had some people send me fabric because they have a very specific need that they need. So sometimes I'm monogramming on you know just the the traditional fabrics that I offer that I say, okay, here, you know, here are 20 different choices that would work with your project. And then I just send the square. Sometimes somebody has a really specific need where they'll send me a fabric. Okay. And of course I couldn't leave this interview without asking about your cute dog, Sophie. Um, I think I saw recently on Instagram, she's not allowed in your sewing room, but does she get to play on all your quilts? Yeah. So Sophie, it's funny. Sophie's pretty tiny. So I actually keep her barricaded out of my embroidery studio and out of my sewing studio with um, empty bolts across the bottom of the door. And so she'll just stand there and kind of go occasionally. You'd think she'd learn by now. She's nine years old. I've been doing this for, for years, keeping her out of those rooms. She doesn't shed, but the thought of having her fur on a customer project makes me really stressed out. Um, but she loves quilts. We actually joke, like, if I kick one off the couch onto the floor, you can set a timer. Less than 10 minutes, she'll be laying on it, and she's claimed it as hers. So pillow, pillows, quilts, she's always um, the first one. If one hits the floor or there's one on the couch, she claims it immediately. It's hers. I love it. If you guys don't follow Meg on Instagram, you have to because Sophie is just the cutest. Okay, I want to end this interview with some rapid fire questions. So who is your favorite fabric designer? Uh, mother-daughter duo, Bonnie and Camille for Moda. I probably could have guessed that one. <laughs> a quilt pattern you've made over and over again. Okay, so I have a couple. Um, Flirty by April Rosenthal. Jelly roll pattern, super fun. Um, Charm pack, churn dash. You can make it in a couple of hours. It's fantastic by Sterling Quilt Company. And then, of course, one that I wrote myself, the gingham quilt. I've made more than I can count. I've had a blast with that, too. I love that gingham quilt, and I love it in your Iowa State colors. <laughs> <laughs> you can't beat the you can't beat a little Iowa pride. Yeah, it's a great pattern for that team pride. Favorite holiday or occasion to sew for? Okay, I again Chris, Christmas Christmas and birth of babies both kind of tied, so they're they're both very exciting. What about a favorite sewing storage tip? Um, don't waste any space. I use all of my wall space. I keep all of my rulers and cutting tools hanging from the wall and I keep all of my scraps stored under my ironing board. So there's no there's no space in my sewing room up along the walls that doesn't have either a storage unit or something hanging on the wall so that I'm not wasting. I have both my floor space and all of my wall space covered. Love it. Thank you so much for this interview, Meg. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I loved my chat with Meg. She's so creative and clever. We'll link to her social media sites and store in our show notes so that you can connect with her more and check out her fun monograms. Before we leave today, I need your help. 
we want to share your quarantined quilting stories on an upcoming podcast. If you'd like to share how sewing or quilting is helping you through this time, please call and leave us a voicemail at 515-257-6870. You can also email us your story or a voice memo at apqpodcast at meredith.com. all and thanks for listening keep in touch american patchwork and quilting is on facebook pinterest and instagram at all people quilt email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast and if you love the american patchwork and quilting podcast please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free and don't forget to rate and review the show it helps other quilters find us Have a creative week.